Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X. And modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Borscht. Yes! (laughs) Yes! <laughs> um, so thanks to Chris for recently suggesting this one. I know a few more listeners have suggested it. It's been really fascinating research. No joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have very little familiarity with, for some reason, the strongest memory I have of borscht is secondhand memory of like the time my dad tried borscht. And really liked it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he really liked it, but it was like at a nice restaurant. So uh-huh. it was, he was very suspicious. And he was also raised in like a very, you know, grits and ham type of growing up environment. So this uh-huh. was a, a newfangled dish to him. Uh-huh. But he loved it. Uh, so that's like my <laughs> borscht okay. experience. Huh. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I had it growing up a few times. Um I remember not liking it when I was a kid because I I think um there 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 was a sour note to it that I I didn't know what to do with and I I don't think I liked beets either at the time um mm-hmm. like there was I found the kind of like earthy sweetness of a beet a little bit cloying I guess um or or, or just strange like I I just like my palate was not 
used to sweet plus earthy plus sour all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, But thinking back, I'm like, now that sounds incredible. And I want it a lot. (laughs) This was this was very hungry reading. Um, It's also um, yesterday was the first day of fall. And the weather here in Atlanta just turned on a dime to this like gorgeous fall weather. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been in like the 70s today. It was in the 50s last night. Delightful, delightful soup weather. Very soupy weather. Oh, well, I love soup all the time. But yes, I I was telling Lauren before I've broken out my jackets. I'm in a hoodie right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And (laughs) yeah, even though borscht, in my mind, which I find interesting... I thought it was a cold soup. And now I've learned oh. it can go, like, either way. I primarily think of it as a hot soup, but See, it can be both. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but, like, I love soups all the time, anytime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it also does not have to have beets, which is not a thing that I knew. Um, uh, yeah. And I, I could have sworn that we had done an episode on beets, but I guess we haven't. Okay, so hilariously, I know why you might think this. Oh, okay. <laughs> Other than the fact that we've done a lot of episodes. <laughs> um, so, we have done an episode on radishes. And I, at the beginning of our radish episode, made this whole, I had this whole big story, a whole claim about how much I love Kung Fu Panda. And in Kung Fu Panda... <laughs> There's like a a whole radish slash beet. I had it mixed up in my head, which was which. But there's a very cute slash terrifying scene um, (laughs) with what I thought was a radish. And then I was like, is it a beet? And I actually had it removed from the episode because I was so embarrassed that my love for this movie, (laughs) that I'd mixed it up. Um, But I... To me, the, they're intertwined because of this incident, huh. this Kung Fu Panda wow. <laughs> radish incident. Well, I don't think that's why I thought that we had done an episode <laughs> on beets. Yeah, I think it's in your subconscious. <laughs> it's in someone's subconscious. Mm, uh, well, uh, well <laughs> they were Kung Fu Pandas. That's why he has a nightmare. <laughs> I still haven't seen that film. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. No, I I just, I just really could have sworn. I also thought until I don't know about ten minutes ago that we had done an episode on potatoes. We haven't. We have not. Oh no, that's not a thing that we've. That's the one that we've been too afraid to do. Like I said, we've done many adjacent. Yeah, sure. Like French fries and latkes, all kinds of stuff like that. But we have not tackled the potato. Potato. It's too Mm. big. The potato is enormous. I mean, physically, it's normal sized, but. Topic-wise, very, yes. very large. Um, anyway, um, I feel like we've gotten ahead of ourselves a couple of times <laughs> here already. So, yes. so, yes. does this bring us to our question? I always kind of want to mess with you right here. But yes, all right, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Borscht. What is it? Well, uh, borscht can be a lot of specific things, um, but generally speaking, it's a savory soup made with uh, a rich broth or stock, some sweet earthy root vegetables like beets, 
other vegetables for flavor and texture, uh, and some kind of sour note from an acidic or perhaps fermented ingredient. So it's complex and balanced and homey and comforting, um, like a, like your grandma reminding you to bring a sweater, but like served in a bowl. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, the variations seriously are endless. Um, borscht can be served hot or cold, um, chunky or pureed, vegetarian, um, or with uh, meat or poultry or fish stock, and or with pieces of those proteins, with a ham hock in there, with boiled potatoes, with cabbage, um, with whatever vegetables you have on hand. But it is fairly common to saute carrots and onions and add them in as the beets cook in the broth. Um, with kvass instead of or in addition to the stock, with uh, pork fat for seasoning, with other seasonings like bay leaves or paprika or hot peppers or sauerkraut. It's often tweaked for religious dietary restrictions in both Jewish and Orthodox households. Um, but yeah, you don't even have to use beets. Um, historically, the word borscht has been applied to any number of soups. Um, the three types that seem most common today are um, the red borscht with beets, white borscht, which is a uh, uh, often like a potato leek or a um, otherwise like like cereal grain and onion type soup served with slices of sausage. This is particularly popular in Poland and around Easter. Um, and then green borscht, which is often a brothy soup made with greens like sorrel or spinach. We are focusing mostly on red borscht today. And yes. in any case, uh, uh, red borscht and green borscht as well um, is usually served with a dollop of sour cream and a sprinkling of fresh herbs like parsley and dill. Um, also often with a, with rye or garlic bread for dipping and or sopping. Sometimes there are dumplings like pierogies involved. Um, it can be an everyday meal, uh, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or a special occasion food. There's a particular type um, that's served at Orthodox wakes. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I saw like a lot of holiday, I think, particularly because of the coloring. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of holiday renditions. Uh, yeah. It's it's actually quite overwhelming uh, because <laughs> there are <laughs> so many routes, like we always say, in a lot of these. But yeah, I, I was like, we have to limit it to red borscht. <laughs> Just... Or my mind is gonna break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and and they and they are all. I, we'll get into it in the history section. They are all tied together, um, historically right, yes, speaking, for sure. Um, but before we get there, what about the nutrition? Um, it depends. Yes. <laughs> it depends on what you put in it. Um, <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's. Uh, that that's my only answer. I mean, I don't know. That's uh, uh, I, I would say that very generally speaking, um, vegetables are good for you, and this is a soup <laughs> that tends to have a bunch of those. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine if you picked up a label, nutrition label, and it says just "it depends" shrug emoji? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What are you gonna put in there? Um, <laughs> I will say historically, um, and this was a lot of things in here were unfortunately kind of hard to verify, but I saw accounts that people thought because it was sour mm -hmm. that it was healthy. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, you know, it, it depends on, I mean, because, because borscht comes in, you know, like, like, like prepackaged, like dried right. powdered soup form. Um, you know, you can get it canned, you can, uh, you can make it yourself from vegetables that you just picked from your garden that day. Um, you can add like quite a lot of lard to it, apparently <laughs> is a popular thing to do in some places, uh, which mm-hmm. sounds delicious. Uh, yes. so, you know, like, uh, right, right. Your, your, your mileage, your mileage is going to vary. For sure. Um, we do have a very limited number of numbers for you. <laughs> <laughs> a couple, a couple numbers. Um, uh, so there are dozens of villages and cities around the Ukraine and Russia named after borscht, um, including in Ukraine. Um, um, I'm going to try for a pronunciation here. I did try looking it up, but my internet doesn't want to let me do that right now. Um, so borscht I think. Yeah, which means roughly belonging to borscht. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why that touched me so I know, much. I know. I'm like, oh. <laughs> belonging to borscht. Um, uh, during the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics in Russia, organizers planned to serve 70,000 gallons of borscht. Wow. That's yes. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It is. Um, all right. So we have a fascinating history on this one for you. Yes. Uh, and we are going to get into that. But first, we are going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by West Hall. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holmes sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. 
You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, It'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So. Oof. Just oof. (laughs) With this one. Um, (laughs) Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I really struggled with the intro for this one because borscht, and in this case, we're re- yeah, we're really focusing on kind of the red borscht, the beet soup variety of borscht, is another one of those dishes that causes a lot of debate over where and when it originated. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, <laughs> yes. Some claim that borscht-like soup originated in Ukrainian territory, though without the beets, now typically used for borscht, uh, again, in this variety we're talking about, which weren't introduced to the area until the 18th century. And beets are a separate episode, okay? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I tried to, like, TLDR it, and it got out of hand. So just soon, one day, we will talk (laughs) about beets. Um, A handful of Ukrainian historians posit that borscht recipes first began appearing in Ukraine in the 1500s. The first mention in the written record is often listed as occurring in 1584 in the description of a German traveler who tried it near Kiev, which was in Ukraine. Um, According to these historians, it arrived in Russia much later, and according to some historians, uh, much, much later. Um, The word borscht uh, may have come from the Slavic term for hogweed, which was a vegetable that has now largely been forgotten, but a lot of these proto-borscht soups were probably made with common hogweed. In the 17th century, John Gerard wrote about how Eastern Slavs would use hogweed from stock to leaves to flowers, frequently fermenting all of these pieces into something between beer and sauerkraut. So, soup? That sounds like a soup. <laughs> Hogweed borscht was cheap to make, so was often associated with the poor and working class. Yeah, um, and hogweed, um, sometimes called cow parsnip, is a plant in the Apiaceae family, um, a carrot family. And from what I understand, uh, the stems and leaves are the primary part of the plant used um, or, or that were used for these early borscht. Um, so 
I think that borscht was was originally closer to what's called green borscht today. Oh. Borscht uh, started picking up in Russia definitely in the late 1800s um, as the czarist military was active then and it could be made in large batches. And as more and more things got added to borscht, including the now essential beets, or at least for this red <laughs> borscht we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, th- the definition got messier, coming to refer to any type of sour soup. An 1823 Russian book classified borscht as the same thing as a Russian sour soup, a sour cabbage soup called shichi, shichi, I apologize if I'm butchering it, um, but an 1842 etymology book differentiated between the two. So, oh. yeah, just a lot of confusion around all of that. Mm-hmm. In 1905, the crew of the Imperial Russian battleship Potemkin rebelled over rotten food, including rotten meat that was crawling with maggots intended for borscht. Ah. Oof. Oof. Um, well, there's <laughs> a lot of violence ensued. The rebel leader's body later had a message pinned to it that read, dead for a bowl of soup. Um, and the whole incident was later turned into a movie. hmm Yep. In her journey to catalog all the ways of making borscht, chef and cookbook author Olia Hercules discovered just so many ways, um, historical and modern ways and recipes of of going about making borscht, including an early 19th century borscht made for a Russian czar at a base of three stalks, morel mushrooms, goose, and veal with dried prunes and sour cherries for that tart note. And this recipe really stuck out to her in terms of richness and compared to her own strict family recipe that she'd grown up with in Ukraine, which called for tender oxtail, simmered for hours, pan-fried julienne carrots and onions, tomatoes, julienne beets of the light-colored variety, boiled potatoes and red kidney beans, briefly cooked shredded cabbage, and then seasoned with homemade sour cream and salt-cured pork, or sun-dried tomatoes and gobies, which was the type of fish, which is the type of fish local to the region, topped with handfuls of dill, often fermented during the winter months, the resulting soup was meant to be so thick that the spoon would stand up straight <laughs> within the liquid. Um, in between bites, people might eat hot chilies or spring onions or bites of rye or garlic bread. But it was just a really lovely description and made me want this thing that I've never had quite yes. desperately. <laughs> yes. After the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, many white Russians fled the country, some to China. After China officially recognized the USSR and the Sino-Japanese War broke out, many of those moved to then-British colony Hong Kong, bringing borscht with them, often made with more readily available ingredients of cabbage, oxtail, and tomatoes. Um, And to this day, borscht is a popular dish at Russian restaurants in Hong Kong. As the Industrial Revolution picked up, uh, borscht was a Soviet uh, cafeteria staple for factory workers. Eastern European Jewish refugees introduced um, borscht, uh, or largely introduced borscht to the U.S., and the T at the end is thought to be a Yiddish transliteration. Also, I know it's kind of a point of contention of saying borscht versus borscht, but I've always heard borscht. (laughs) I've I've often heard it with like with like a soft T 
Shanti at the end, mm, sort of um, yeah. the the way that the way it, it reminds me of the way that Holly Fry once explained to me how to pronounce something in French. She's like, you think about the letter at the end, but you don't say <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> yes. And so I'm like, OK, and, and I think I've actually been going back and forth in my pronunciation um, so far this episode. But yeah, yeah, um, uh, I, I will say that there are a lot of related um, words in a lot of different languages um, for this product. But right, in yeah. American English, it is a B-O-R-S-C-H-T. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The, the I don't know. I, I, I don't know what is most common <laughs> in other places. <laughs> Listeners, you can let us know. <laughs> oh, goodness. And if you have, like, notes on a specific etymology of any of them, yes. we want to hear about it. Always. 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 Uh, after World War II ended, declassified Russian manuals included recipes for borscht. Um, the primary tip in these manuals was to take your time with the base. Like, really let that stock simmer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the recipe was kept classified by the CIA until 2012. <laughs> And and this is it's not that it's not that this recipe it's not right. that the Soviet recipe for borscht was considered like dangerous um <laughs> information that needed to be hidden from the American public. Um it actually kind of came out um that that this was part of these classified papers because it sort of highlights how ridiculous it was that the CIA was keeping all of these things under such tight lock and key for so long. Um, And it wasn't until, right, yeah, 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 it wasn't until 2012 that this whole campaign, um, uh, an organization like sued the CIA for like freedom of information, basically, and got all of this stuff released and and unearthed in the middle of all of this information that they had gathered was... Yeah, this Soviet recipe for borscht. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, and then in 1961, the Soviet Union launched a human mannequin named Ivan into space as a part of a series of tests trying to ascertain the effect space travel would have on an actual living human. Ivan carried with him a lot of life forms like mice and bacteria, but also Ivan was meant to use his voice, which he they gave him a voice, to test the communication equipment. The Soviet engineers struggled to think of something for Ivan to say, knowing the West would likely intercept the message and try to decode whatever secret meaning was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so they settled on, among other things, a recipe for borscht, just reading a recipe for borscht. <laughs> Yes. Um, And freeze-dried borscht in a tube later went to go on to space, to actually go on to space to feed Russian cosmonauts. And semi-recently, it was kind of like an anniversary and people, you could get it at like a vending machine on Earth to try uh, this uh space borscht. (laughs) 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 Um, In 2000... An editor of one of Russia's big publishing houses drove to food writer and historian William Polklebkin's house only to find him murdered, oh. stabbed to death. Yeah, oh. well, that took a turn um, with his own military dagger. Last seen alive the day Vladimir Putin was elected. Um, nothing stolen. Uh, also, this really, really makes me want to come back and talk about vodka because he wrote about books 
He wrote books about iconic dishes tied to national identity, like mm-hmm. vodka. I just want to know so much more. Um, yeah. <laughs> in Poke Lubkin's book, The Cuisine of Our Peoples, R meaning the USSR in this context, he wrote... One could understand and forgive foreigners for calling borscht a Russian national dish, but when it turns out that they gleaned the information from Soviet cookbooks or from restaurant menus, one is embarrassed. Um, yeah, so he was digging into all of mm-hmm. the stuff that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and all of this is about to get very much more intense. Yes. So, in 2020... Tensions between Ukraine and Russia grew between who owned borscht. The whole thing started, or I guess escalated is a better word, that year when a Ukrainian chef named Ivgen Klopotenko started an effort to get the UN's cultural agency to have borscht registered as a part of that country's national cultural heritage. Oh, okay. So this is by no means a new argument. Um... And it was definitely kicked up a notch in 2014 when conflict broke out between Kremlin-supported militants and Ukraine, resulting in 13,000 deaths over a six-year period. Klopotenko claimed his whole effort came out of a desire to correct the, in his mind, misconception that borscht was a Russian dish. And in part, a response to a tweet from the Russian foreign ministry that labeled borscht as one of Russia's most famous and beloved dishes. He said, they're already at war with us. What's the worst they can do? (laughs) Um, (laughs) As part of this push, he assembled a dozen experts and 26 different recipes from all across Ukraine, including Russian annex Crimea, It really is a fascinating spread of recipes, many passed down for generations. And this whole thing is ongoing. Yeah, um, yeah, he he organized a whole institute about Ukrainian culture over this, uh, focusing on borscht. um, Because from what I understand it, it's sort of um, just salt in the wound of this large ongoing cultural conflict. um, Because as, as as a power in the region, in the world, um, Russia has, you know, long had a military presence in the Ukraine, and there have been conflicts over Crimea and um, and and over leadership in the Orthodox Church. And there's this real perception in in Ukraine of of Russia trying to like appropriate all of Slavic culture as belonging to Russia and like to like the privileged class in Moscow, particularly. I think. Mm-hmm. In a, so so yeah so so all of these things have been happening um, surrounding that uh, in March of this year 2021 uh, Ukraine held a borscht cook-in um, as part of their campaign to the United Nations um, and uh, Klopotenko gathered 25 cooks and chefs from around the country to present these these right these regional recipes on YouTube. I think they also held a strong a, a string of public events around the country where they brought like a giant kettle around and cooked borscht at different festivals or at least had formed the plan to. I'm not sure with COVID and, and everything how that's going on. Um, back in back in December, after that tweet from the Russian foreign ministry, uh, Ukrainian ministers held a, a, a borscht off. Two collaborated on a version with cherries and two on a version with fried cabbage. <laughs> also, the Ukrainian embassy in Paris got an apology out of the Michelin Guide 
for having described borscht as a Russian dish. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dang. All right. Um, one Russian chef, Boris Akimov, who is considered a leader in Russia's farm-to-table movement, said of this whole thing, we cannot say it's Ukrainian or Russian. Borscht is very popular now, and it was very popular 200 years ago in Ukraine and Russia. I hope that borscht can be a thing that unites these countries, but does not divide. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It is a lot. A lot goes into these into these dishes. It really does. Yeah. Um, and I also like this quote from Chef Oleg Poritikov. The more I work with Slavic cooking, the more I understand that any cooking is, in the first place, home cooking. Whether it's French, Italian, German, Russian, if you look at the heart of domestic cooking, we find many common points. What is ravioli in essence? What are veroniki, Ukrainian dumplings filled and boiled? They are precisely the same. Dishes are dishes. It's not the politicians who come up with them. It's ordinary people who come up with food. Aww. I just like that because I feel like a lot of times, you know, when you're trying to track down the origins or the first or who did it, you just know other people were doing it and not oh, getting sure. recognition. Yeah. And it's and and right. And and you know, like like who who recorded it in what book that got preserved um mm-hmm. and whose voices are being paid attention to and you know what what is uh considered of cultural importance to different places and different people um it's always it's always it's always a mess <laughs> that it is <laughs> that it is i had a point earlier today i just remember it was like a choose your own adventure but the, every every pathway yeah. was like a never-ending road. I'm like, I'm never going to, I have to focus on red borscht yeah. or I'm never going to come out of here. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what I, that's what I finally, I was like, well, like that's, that is what has risen up as the primary type. And so I'm going with that. <laughs> but there were, yeah, there's so many different types and all of these stories behind them and. All of these like proud heritages, yeah. Them. Um, so yeah, definitely not saying we won't come back to those. Oh, but. sure, absolutely, absolutely, and 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 you know, like like we're we're laughing about it a little bit because it it is objectively a little bit funny whenever <laughs> like like the prime minister of a country gets involved in or or like I think like the vice prime minister gets involved in cooking soup to make a cultural point um that's that's a little bit funny um but it's also very serious of course and and you know whenever people feel like they're um like like something that is very much part of them is is being um uh denigrated or disrespected or uh pulled away from them um Mm -hmm. of course that's not that's not a laughing matter um, no but you know uh yeah but this just makes me want to try 98 different kinds of borscht. Me as well. Um, Immediately. Me as well. So, <laughs> yes. I've yeah. re- I, no joke, I've already been like, where can I get it in Atlanta? <laughs> <laughs> Please. How can I make it? Um, yeah. So hopefully we'll report back on that. Yeah. And of course, listeners, if you have any information or recipes. Yes. Oh, as always, we would love to hear from you. We would. Um, uh, and we do have some listener mail for you today. We do. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality, high quality and immersive sound, a sleek design. All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro series has all of those and the Roku streaming experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day, and regular all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro Series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener, listener. Hmm. Like a comforting bowl of soup. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we have two short zucchini messages. Okay. Okay. Yes. 
First, Josh wrote, At the end of the Zucchini episode, Lauren describes a zoodle machine referring to the Kranken Blade, and that just hit me as the perfect British pub name if one were to open such an establishment. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Kranken Blade. Oh, geez. That sounds great. That sounds like a place, like... In a very kind of dark humor, but still somehow lighthearted show. And that's the place they go. It's like, yeah. meet up at the Crank and Blade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm, and, I, and I'm imagining that there have to be co-owners and that one mm-hmm. of them is the Crank and one of them is the Blade. But, yes. but which one? <laughs> which one is which? That's the mystery. That's the mystery. And you, you never find out and you're always guessing. I like that. <laughs> um, and then Jenna wrote... I'm listening to this episode, and LOL, a monster for zoodling. Love it. My dad had a garden while my brother and I were growing up, and boy, did we get a lot of zucchini and tomatoes. <laughs> we would ding-dong ditch our neighbors, putting the zucchini on their porch, ring the doorbell, and run. Fond <laughs> memories. And I responded, and I was like, that sounds like the best ding-dong ditch ever. On the planet, right? I know. And then Jenna was like, well, our neighbors got very tired of zucchini after a while. <laughs> <laughs> but as you said, Lauren, zucchini produces a lot, so. It's very prolific. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. I would love it. I would be so into it. <laughs> I guess I guess I would be for the first like seven or eight times, and then mm-hmm. maybe after that I would be like, oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have to find a way to freeze zucchini or yeah, make something that mm-hmm. you could freeze or give away. Yeah, it's true, it's true. But it would be very <laughs> nice for a while. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Jan wrote, "Oh, hey Jan, hi. Oh, they they didn't say that. That's me saying that to anyway." Uh, Jan wrote. I am a back catalog binger. I recently came across the Pavlova episode. After listening to Lauren's meringue hints, I thought I'd tell you a cautionary tale from someone, me, who thought he was being smart. I wasn't. I love Mary Berry, a British cook with a long history of TV shows, specials, and cookery books. So when she televised an episode with what looked like an excellent dessert in one of her shows, uh, Cooking for a Crowd, I had to try it. She called it a meringue tranche. And wow, it was gorgeous. Uh, Photos and recipe attached. Off I went to start this behemoth. Pulling out my KitchenAid mixer, I began to read the instructions. Place the egg whites in a spotlessly clean bowl and whisk with an electric whisk until they form stiff peaks. I read and thought, oh, I think I can do better. Meringue is going to make a mess. Let's make it easier to get out of the bowl. Then I began to liberally spray the mixing bowl with Pam cooking spray. Hmm. In went the egg whites. On went the mixer. I waited and waited and waited. Public service announcement, always listen to Lauren. I waited and waited and waited. Well, after 20 minutes, I knew something had gone wrong. The whites were not forming the stiff peaks the recipe said they would. In my defense, at the time, I was a very know-it-all cook. Not much of a defense, but there we are. I had to throw away the four eggs, wash the bowl, dry the bowl, then wipe it with a cap full of vinegar. This part I did after calling my mother-in-law, then dried it out again, and restarted. Voila. Stiff peaks. Again, always listen to Lauren, or read Mary Berry's recipes carefully. I'm better at cooking when I do this. 
<laughs> We've all made these mistakes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, man, I have an idea. And then you're like, wow, that wasn't a great idea, was it? Was, <laughs> it's, hmm. that. Looking back on that moment, though, it's so funny when you're like, when you remember thinking that you were a genius and yeah. no one else has ever considered this. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, oh. This is why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see. Uh-huh. Yep. Yes. Yes. Um, And uh, thank you so much, Jan, for all of your messages as you've worked through the backlog. Who knows when you'll actually get to this? Um, But it's been a great (laughs) and kind of a walk down memory lane for the both of us. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Yes, absolutely. Yes. So thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.